Excuse me, I forgot my clicker. Speaking of the, my introduction, life is messy and things don't always go as you expect them to. Like me forgetting the clicker on the front pew. But life is messy. You know, your life is messy. My life can be messy. We're all, and is messy. You know, the roads are messy. <laughs> but messiness, the messiness that is in each of our lives often is a result of our own sin or it can be just because of sin and just the nature of living in a sinful world. Messiness is just part of life. We look at our lives and we are oftentimes asking God to remove the mess from our lives. We see the mess as a hindrance to serving Him. We see the mess that is in our life is even sometimes it's, there's a mess there because of the messiness that's in somebody else's life and it's impacting our life. And it causes inconveniences and, and even ruins our plans. Well, a week ago, God allowed me to attend a fellowship hosted by Arch Ministries. Uh, not this, literally this last week, but a week ago, really almost two weeks ago now. And, and in my introduction this morning, I just want to give a little bit of how God challenged me through that time. Uh, it was a wonderful blessing. God, God did some amazing things in my life through that week. But as I was down there, the, the overall theme was preparing today for a healthy tomorrow. And they took it from 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so they had four different general sessions and each of those speakers had undergone some incredibly difficult personal and church-related trials and afflictions in their lives. And so each of their sermons, each of their challenges, involved personal testimony along with biblical truth from God's Word on how God had worked in their lives. And the first speaker had gone to Psalm 139. It was his main text. And he went through and he shared a story, the story about how their first daughter, who is now 18 years old, had just graduated from high school, just recently. But she was born with a, a, a disease. I, don't, I didn't actually write down the disease. I, I didn't think I'd, the medical terms and stuff like that. But she was born, they found out in one of their ultrasounds, is before she was born, that there was something wrong with one of her legs. And when she was born, she was born without... Just lost place in my notes. She was born without a thigh bone, a femur, and a fibula in one of her legs. She still had a foot. So her, leg, her one leg was drastically shorter than her other leg. And in the early part of her life, they did, even as a baby and stuff, they had a prosthetic for her. But there was no hinge joint because, they hadn't, because of the foot. They, they had, it was a special kind of prosthetic. And then when she was four years old, they, had, they made the decision because it would be easier for prosthetics going forward in her life, they amputated her foot. And the pastor goes on and shares how he and his wife dealt with this. And how they didn't want her, their daughter, and even he was timid and even sharing this story because he never wanted the situation, it's not even technically his 
personal story even. It's his daughter's. But he also didn't want to ever bring more attention to the situation than necessary because he didn't want the situation to identify their daughter or even them to have the situation be their, their identifier. They wanted God to be the identifier in their lives. And this pastor went on to share from 139 how God knows us. He is with us, he made us, he thinks about us, and he changes us. It changed me listening to this, this, this sermon. The next morning on Tuesday, the next speak, main speaker got up and talked about the toughness of losing his wife to cancer when they were around 50 years old. They had been in pastoral ministry for years and he went on and talked about how hard it was even for him and the sinful struggles he even went through dealing with the loss of his wife. And he was involved in a lot of church planting as well. And, and this man said, you know, the neat thing is, is that through it, as he was seeking to stay faithful, God brought a lady across his path, and he's now been remarried. And the lady that God brought across his path had lost her husband prematurely. And so now you have two individuals struggling and going through this, this, this struggle together. And his big idea that he, he went to Hebrews 11 and really he just walked through the, fe- the, the truth of that trials happen. Trouble's going to come in life. Are you, ready, are you ready spiritually to face those troubles? Because they're going to come. And he made the challenge that we need to be ready to face the mess, face the troubles that come in life. That evening... And they joke around, by the way, Arch Ministries jokes around, they have flex time. I don't know how many of you would handle that, but when I say flex time, they start their services sometimes 10 minutes late, 5 minutes late. Um, and sometimes that boils down, by the time Tuesday evening rolled around, we were done an hour behind schedule. But, but a lot of it is good stuff. It's fellowship going on. It's, there's sessions that go a little longer because all the session is is prayer. There's a whole session dedicated to just getting together and sharing your hearts in prayer. But before the, the last general session, real, I guess you could say it had already started, but he had a pastor and his wife come up. He wasn't the speaker for the session. But he had them come up to give testimony about something that they had been going through. When this pastor and his wife came up, they began to explain and share the story of how their 28-year-old daughter, who loved the Lord, genuinely loved the Lord, was actively involved in their church, uh, had a wonderful job at the hospital uh, working with, uh, I think it was mental health patients and stuff like that. She struggled with mental health herself. And she came to visit her parents. She lived near her family, her parents, and she had four other siblings. She went to go take a walk. She had kissed her mom and her dad. Later that afternoon, one of her siblings came and asked where her sister, if they knew where she was, because she missed, they were supposed to go shopping. And no one actually knew where she was, and the pastor, as he was sharing this story, was like, I'm not, she's 28 years old, I'm not my daughter's keeper, she's 28, she's an adult. She liked to take walks out in nature. So they tried to, they started feeling, and, and the dad went, and went up into his room, and uh, he noticed that a case in his, in his room was 
was out and, was, and he checked it and his gun was gone. So they began to become a little more worried. They started calling people to see what the different parks that she might have gone and traveled around. And the family found, they found her car and the family rushed to that park and they spread out and started searching for their sister and daughter. And this daughter's brother, who is, I think, 16 years old, found her lying near a railroad track. And she had shot herself. I'm telling you, there wasn't a dry eye in the auditorium. The pastor said, I've never felt so dark in my entire life. He felt as though God wasn't there. His wife is wailing, didn't even want to be touched. And he goes on and shares how God had worked, and this was only as recent as six months ago, by the way, that they're giving this testimony. And he talks about how God has worked through them and is still working in them. They're still going through struggles. After he gets done giving that testimony, the pastor for that session gets up to speak. He talks about, he kind of starts off with a little bit of humor and talks about, he sees all the way back in his college days when he sees the girl that he's eventually going to marry. And then he shares that he had to make the decision that he want to marry someone that he knew was going to die young. This young lady that he was attracted to that he ended up marrying had cystic fibrosis. She wasn't guaranteed much past 35 years old. She passed away in her early 30s. And he goes, around, goes through and, and shares the, the struggles, both spiritually, not just the physical struggles, but the, the spiritual struggles that they went through even when they knew that this was going to happen, that she was most likely going to pass away. She was the church pianist. She was a concert-level pianist. She had put out CDs. She taught piano. All of these things, she served the Lord faithfully and the Lord takes her. And he talked about the struggles in between then as, as a man in ministry and stuff and people were asking him pretty shortly thereafter, when are you going to get married? <laughs> they were being sincere, but he was being honest. He's like, that's not really what I wanted to hear, <laughs> nor needed to hear. Eventually he went up to a friend's uh, church in Alaska he was speaking there, and his, one of these close friends that could tell, tell him anything he wanted, and he could get away with it. He's like, hey, there's this lady in my church. I know I'm not sure if you're ready to start dating again, but there's a lady in my church that I think might fit you. He's like, and he kind of pushed it off and stuff, and they were at the church, and there's a fellowship, and he saw her, and someone had told him that when you will know when it, you're ready to get, go through it again you'll start to have those feelings again. Those butterfly feelings. And he had them. This lady that he was attracted to was an Alaskan state trooper. <laughs> and she was a single mom, never been married. Man in ministry. And he goes through and talks about the struggles of some genuinely being considerate. I mean, they, what they said may not have 
come across considerate, but definitely concerning for him. And he fights through all that. He finally talks about, and the passage we're going to be using this morning is really what he shared. The text is. And he got away in a cabin, and his dad had given him a list of things to, to look through and think through. And you know what he came to? He didn't start thinking about anything about her, or the, the whole situation. He, brought, he almost started tearing up as he was speaking. And he said, God brought me to understand the depths of my sin. and my sinful mess, and the messiness of my life. And God led them to get married. He actually stepped down from his position here in the lower continental states. He went up, married her. He's now pastoring. Uh, I think he's back. He's actually from the desert, so he made a joke about going from the desert to Alaska. But he's back down here, and he's pastoring. His son's about to graduate. He adopted the son. They have their own daughter, and he's going into ministry. And then the, and then the next morning, <laughs> the next pastor shared how he had to do church discipline on a close friend. And that friend turned around and rejected him and doesn't want anything to do with him. You say, why do I share all these stories? Why do I have a little longer than a normal introduction? Well, one, one thing I, God taught me was Pastors are like everybody else. Pastors have, and I'm not here to say, please love me, and this isn't self-serving, by the way. But we are like everybody else. And it's interesting in our culture that there is this element, and this is just something that God, this is actually not even, this application isn't directly from this text that we're going to look at. And the other part that he really showed me was just being transparent. Pastors struggle to be transparent. Part of that, I think, is throughout history, the church has always put the pastor up on a pedestal. And the pastor can't make mistakes. Can't have sin struggles. If he does, he can't pastor anymore. <laughs> there is some of that that has been out there. There's the other part of it that pastors are scared to be because they don't want to lose their ability to minister. I don't want to go to somebody who has problems themselves. I'm not going to, how am I going to get help that way? It's interesting, on, on Wednesday morning, the, the speaker, the first text he went to was Matthew chapter 1. And we're not going to go there this morning, but it's the genealogy of Christ through the line of Joseph. When it says, Now the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he stops right there. And he says, Mess. <laughs> he goes on, he says, Isaac, Mess. Jacob, Mess. And he goes on through the list, and he, you look through the genealogy of, through which Christ... Life is messy. People are messy. We have messiness in our lives. And so the point is, we need to realize that God is at work regardless of the mess. He is at work in our mess. We don't need to ask to get out of it. 
God's at work. And so it's important for us, the title of the sermon is Seeing God at Work in Our Mess. If you have your Bibles and you haven't turned there yet, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. Our big idea this morning is simply that we need the totality of Christ in our inner life in order to glorify God in our mess. See, God wants to be glorified. The reason God created us, the reason God saved us, according to Ephesians 1, is to the praise of God's glory. It's for His glory. And actually we will see that in verse 20 and 21, that it is for God's glory. But we need the totality of Christ in our inner life. So often we want the mess to go away and we wonder if God is even there. We ask, as each of these speakers struggled with, where is God? Where is God? Well, I am here to share with all of us from God's Word this morning that God is here. We make it through by being filled with the fullness of and the love and power of God. See, in this prayer of Paul's, we see an intense passion for himself and the church to have an ever-deepening relationship with God and His Word. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees. It's not mandated in Scripture when we go to the Lord in prayer that we bow our knees. But we see actually Paul's passion in this. How many of you, when you feel passionate about something, God has really brought you to a passion, you go to the Lord in prayer, and you're really earnest in your prayer life, how many of you don't feel yourself just wanting to bow down before God? And if you look throughout Scripture, look at the the intimacy that happens, that, that many situations come, there's time and time again where people are bowing their knees before the Lord. They see God for who he is and they see them for who they are. The passion here in Paul's prayer is seen in this posturing that he has. See, Paul's passion in talking to God in prayer flowed from the humble reality of God's truth and his heavenly Father with whom he had healed his soul. It is the realities of chapter 1, Ephesians 1, that brings Paul to his knees, that humbles himself before God. It's because of the, the realities of salvation, the realities of redemption, the blessings of redemption. Paul came to God in humility, reverence, and submission. This morning I pray that we are coming to him in the same way. He understood that God cared for his children and each and every one of them. Because he uses the word Father. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. There's an intimacy with that word. And it's interesting here. It says, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God knows every single one of us. 
He knows our name. He knows everything about you. He is the one true God. It is this, that living with the totality of God is our focus that strengthens our inner man. So Paul in this prayer, let's read verses 14 through 20, to begin with, 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The pastor on Tuesday night walks through this passage as he's given his testimony. He's like, this is how I got through. I saw the totality of God. I understood that the power and the love of God, I needed to understand it and experience more than I ever have. And it is those things that brought, brings us to a full, more full relationship, a more mature relationship with Christ. And if we're going to go through the mess in life, if we're going to deal with the messiness of our sin, if we're going to do that properly, we need to understand and experience the love and the power of God. The first thing we see in verses 16 and 17, the first part of 17, we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit's power. Christian, this morning, you cannot strengthen yourself, your inner man, spiritually on your own. You can't do it. It takes God it is God and God alone. Now he uses the Holy Spirit as an agent. But in order for the Christian to be able to glorify God in their mess, we need God's strength. Look at the passage of Scripture. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit. The multitude of avenues by which our flesh and the influence of Satan attacks our hearts and attacks the core of our spiritual life is more than can be numbered. The impact of sin and the influences of Satan are all around us. Some of the most simple things, just getting frustrated over someone cutting in front of us too close. It's a really a simplistic thing in all reality, but yet we struggle with sin and responding properly. How other many little things could we mention like that if we're honest? And we don't want to because then it makes us, well, it actually makes us feel how we should feel. <laughs> Sinful. If we're to live in a way that glorifies God in our messiness, we must be able to identify and conquer the flesh bents in our life. I don't know how many of you have heard that phrase, flesh bent. A flesh bent is, so what, you may ask, what is a flesh bent? A flesh bent is the direction of sin your flesh and life leans into when not right with God. So when God is not directing your life, when you're not letting the Spirit of being controlled by the Spirit of God, and you are, you are going through something rough. Maybe there is a mess in your life, there's a trouble, there's difficulty going on in your life. Where does your flesh naturally go when your life isn't focused on Christ? 
Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it laziness? You know, there's, there's many different things. Is it, is it drinking? Is it a, and, and we could go on and on. Is it, is it to the wrong, the wrong crowd? Is it the wrong establishments? Is it the wrong... And we could go on and on and on about different things that could be your flesh bent. Isolation. Stop coming to church. Stop talking to the, the other believers. So that's what a fleshman is, where your life begins to turn when your eyes are, are not on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. So I do ask all of us this morning, have we taken the time, have you taken the time, have I taken the time to ask God to help identify those, those flesh bents of your heart? It's important to know where they are, to identify them. Now, this side of eternity, you're always going to have some level of flesh bent. You're not perfect. But you can conquer those flesh bents. And sure, another one will probably pop up. But life is messy. But we keep on being, we need to keep on being passionate about God's truth and that Christ is now our mediator going to make supplication and petition on our behalf. Think of that. Jesus is our mediator. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is our intercessor. What a power duo. <laughs> One commentator likened this truth that Paul is praying for here to an ill or physically unable individual needing to be strengthened before they can enjoy all that life offers. They go on to say when someone has a major surgery... They have to take physical therapy to help strengthen their weaknesses. When we as Christians are weakened by the mess of sin and its effects, we need our inner man to be strengthened in order to receive the blessings God desires to give us. Are you strengthening your inner man? Are you letting the Spirit of God strengthen your inner man? So how does this power, how does this inner man get strengthened? Well, first of all, we see that it comes from what? It says, how he would grant to us according to what? He grants us according to the riches of his glory. According to God's riches. This power of God comes through the Spirit, but also through God's riches. Everything is God's. God is glorified through our inner man being strengthened and we see then also the power here. We are strengthened with power through His Spirit. It is God's power through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Romans 15.19 In the power of signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, and I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit is the agent by which our inner man is strengthened. Are you quenching the Spirit of God this morning? Are you quenching the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there some unconfessed sin in your life this morning? 
the inner man would have been understood by the original readers to say, well, what is the inner man then if it's what's supposed to be strengthening? The inner man would have been understood as the center of a person's life. Synonymously, Paul also later on uses the word, in Ephesians, uses the word heart, really the seat of our affections, the core of who you are. The inner man has got to be strengthened and it happens through the Holy Spirit. Romans 7, 21 talks about how we struggle, we, have, we face a struggle. This is why we need to have a Our inner man must be strengthened. Romans 7.21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. We are going to, we fight a battle. The influences of Satan are not going to go away. Mess is going to happen. Messiness is going to be there. It is important that we strengthen our inner man. The Holy Spirit is there to pr- and, and permanently indwells the believer. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Is your inner man being renewed day by day by day by day? What is consuming your life? Is it the totality of God? Is it, are you yielding to the totality of God? D.A. Carson says this, when Christ by his Spirit takes up residence within us, he finds a moral equivalent to trash, black and silver wallpaper, and a leaking roof. He sets about turning this residence into a place appropriate for him, a home for which he is comfortable. When a person takes up long-term residence somewhere, their presence eventually characterizes that dwelling. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that is why Paul prays for power. He is transforming us into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. Are you letting God transform you? Or are you resisting the makeover? There's these, how many shows on, on TV about redoing your house? remodeling. Jesus is changing you. God wants to change you. And if you're a Christian, you will genuinely want God to change you. Yes, sin can taint that desire, can disturb that desire. And that's why Paul is saying that our inner man has got to be strengthened. So we cannot quench the Spirit of God. And the joy is knowing that, you know what? Who does the strengthening? God does. We don't have to do the strengthening. We submit to the Spirit of God in our lives. We submit to following the Spirit of God. And what is it? The power comes from what? The Spirit, not you or me. So we see that we need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit's power, the power of God. And then two, I forgot I had the verses up there, but two, We need the Holy Spirit's power to grasp God's love. I know I didn't tell Jerry that I was changing sermons for this week. But when we sang I Run to Christ, I couldn't have thought of a better text, a better song, and even the songs as a whole, this idea of the totality of God in our lives. 
His power and His love. God's love is immense. Have you ever tried to just understand God's love? It's hard. Paul here in this passage says, so we have the power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, so we are to, God's love is to be what is the foundation for our life. We are to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Being rooted grounded, and grounded in God's love provides the ability to love others. See, our lives need to be rooted and structured on the love of God. It is this love that we ought to look at our next-door neighbor with. It is this love that we are to look at our coworker, our husband, our wife, our child, our grandchild, our church member, and the list could continue. As the pastor was sharing his story and sharing this text, it's like it was understanding and grasping God's love that I realized that I just needed more of God and less of myself. That's how I get through the struggles. Paul's detail then lays out, really he lays out a phrase here, a few, three different clauses to kind of emphasize the root, being rooted and grounded in love. It says, why, are we, why do we need to be rooted and grounded in love? The love that refers to the love of God. Why is it? So that first of all, that we may able, be able to comprehend with all the saints God's love, the greatness of God's love. And we see here, it's, it's really, you could summarize the, these four different ways that he describes God's love as just the infinitude of God's love. Paul is just letting us know that God's love is infinite. And we are to try to understand it the best we can this side of eternity. But his love is wide enough, as one commentator put it, to embrace the world. It's long enough to last forever. It's high enough to take sinners to heaven. And it's deep enough to take Christ to the very depths to reach the lowest sinner. Are we seeking to better comprehend the greatness of God's love? See, when we comprehend God's love and when we meditate on God's love, it humbles us. It should also motivate us. God loves us so much. You know, just on a human level, I know my parents love me. It makes me want to please them. Even as a 38-year-old man, I still want to please my parents because they love me. But we're to comprehend the greatness of God's love. And then we're also to know Christ's love. To know Christ's love. Paul's not praying for the Ephesians to have a stronger love for Christ. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's saying is that he would, he's rather want praying that they have a stronger understanding and a knowledge of God's love for them. Paul's not telling the Ephesians here, you need to love God more. He's saying you need to understand and experience God's love more. 
The level of knowledge here is not just an academic level, but rather grasping God's love in an experienced type of way. Well, experiencing God's love is not mysticism. It's not this feel-good type of thing. And it's certainly not the opposite of that, of just completely ignoring it and really making God seem like a cold-hearted person. So what does experiencing God's love look like? For every believer, we're secure in Christ. It's experiencing God's love. If you're a Christian here this morning, you can't lose your salvation. That's experiencing God's love. See, the more we understand God's love, the more we see how we are experiencing God's love. See, the love of God surpasses knowledge. We will never experience it to the fullest, but we do need to keep marveling at God's love and rest in the forgiveness of God. Aren't you glad God forgives? I am. What a love. What an experience of God's love. So how does that look when we live that love out? Well, it looks like Ephesians 4, chapter 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. It's not a mistake that Paul says this, writes this in this letter. God has him write this right after he gets done telling him, you need to understand and experience the love of God. So what does that look like then in our lives with one another? How do we, when we are going through a mess, how do we take the mess that God's allowed us to go through and, and really the messiness of sin in our lives that God has helped us work through and, and take, make right with him? How do we take all of those things and then apply it to helping one another? Well, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul really wants them to see and know the love of God because he wants them to be all that they can be for God. God wants you and he wants me to be everything we can be for God. No matter what is going on in your life, our inner man has got to be yielded to the totality of the glory of God. Then we see in verses 20 and 21, we see that we can live with hope in the greatness of God's power and love. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, as we seek to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, why, does, why is it that we are to understand God's power and God's love so richly? Because verse 19, it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's where the idea of the totality of God comes from. Are we being filled with the totality of God? It takes God's power and his love. And we can live in hope in this wonderful power and love of God because it, God is, do, is the one that does the work. 
Have you ever gone through something where God responded and answered in a way that completely blew your mind and wasn't had anything to do with how you thought it was going to work? It's so much better, isn't it? (laughs) See, we can hope because God's power truly works above anything we can imagine. Stop trying to get out of your mess on your own. It's God that does the work. God's put you in that mess. So be content in the mess, knowing that God wants you there. And that, yes, I'm using mess in two different ways, on a spiritual and just a physical, sociological type of way. See, at the beginning this morning, I shared an illustration of the messiness in five different pastors' lives. Each of these men, while sharing testimony, used God's word to detail their own social, personal, and spiritual struggles due to the messiness. Because it is in these messes that we see our own personal and spiritual messiness when we see the physical mess from God's perspective. So Paul lays out here in this prayer that we need to yield to the totality of God. See, we need to submit to the totality of Christ in our inner life in order to glorify God in our mess. Spiritual growth in your life, in my life, will not happen apart from yielding to God's power and love. It won't happen. So Christian today, what has God revealed to you about your life? What does the messiness of sin look like in your life? Are you willing to truly agree with what the mirror of God's word has revealed to you about your messiness of sin? God showed me areas in my life this week that needed change. See, as God reveals the messiness of our sin, how are we responding to the situational messes that God has providentially brought into your life? Do you wonder if God is at work or even present? Are you trying to use human reasoning and logic to clean the mess up? Maybe even this morning, God providentially does not have you going through a mess. Maybe he's given you a time of reprieve. How are you handling the messiness of your sin, thereby preparing for the time when that mess does come? The mess, the trial, the difficulty, whatever word you want to use, will come. And when it does, will you let this text that we've looked at this morning richly work in you? Or will you be scrambling and being chaotic in your response because you are not spiritually ready? To be ready is to be growing in the knowledge and experience of God's love and power. Because we need to submit to the totality of Christ in our inner man in order to glorify God in our mess. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, when we think of struggles that people have, 
some in this auditorium, maybe even watching on live stream. Maybe it's a messiness of sin joint with a messiness of a situation. Maybe it's one or the other. Lord, I pray that we would yield to the totality of who you are. That we would see your love. We would understand it. We would experience it. That we would be yearning for your power, the Spirit of God to work in us and through us. Because it is to your glory, you desire the church to glorify you and you will be glorified for all eternity. May we be a part of that because of how we are responding. So we thank you and we praise you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.